check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Shall we begin? Welcome to our special show, On the Level, with co-host John Flannery and John McLaughlin. You know, what, what's happening in New York with bands? What's happening with these other situations? Nothing. Not Absolutely nothing. nothing. Absolutely right. nothing. Yeah. I know it isn't truth. Truth isn't truth. Join us now and let's consider the state of our disunion. Welcome to On The Level, another edition where we talk straight about what's happening. This is John Flannery, your host, and my co-host is John McLaughlin. And we're here to discuss today the state of America. Where do we stand on the Hill and where do we stand at the school boards? The newest place for those radical right who prefer to make this a monarchy instead of a democracy are being active and they're building grassroots movements against all the values that we think are American. So we're going to start with what's happening on the Hill. As you do know, Steve Bannon has given the finger to the Hill saying he wasn't going to appear and he hasn't appeared. So now the question is for Congress, what are they going to do? They're talking about criminal contempt, but the question is, when is that going to take effect? The idea is if you had a child, you would punish them immediately, go sit in the corner. Steve Bannon, who knows if he follows what the Congress has done before, it could be two years before they do anything like what happened with McGahn. So we're going to talk about what's happening on the Hill, or I should say not happening and when it may not happen. And then we're going to talk about what's happening in your neighborhood with the school boards, the lowest rung of the political ladder in our system and how it's being used by the far right, those who are strong in the sense of having an autocracy, who are resisting in every way the values that are American, equality, taking care of each other, promoting the general welfare found, by the way, in our Constitution. And so I'm going to give John a chance to weigh in on some of these topics. And uh, John, what do you think about where we stand today or fail to stand? Well, it's pretty clear from my vantage point that this has all been mishandled from the get-go. I was somewhat enthusiastic and cautiously optimistic when Speaker Pelosi uh, created the uh, Select Committee uh, however, they've been uh, together now for a number of months. I think they've met three times. I think that's the the number. Uh, with regard to Bannon, this is a no-brainer from a legal standpoint and a political standpoint. This should have been, they should have exercised their inherent powers. And uh, if they had, Bannon would be arrested sitting in a in a jail cell as we speak. Instead, they're choosing the route, uh, from my understanding, of uh, sending this to the Department of Justice, asking uh, Merrick Garland to deliberate on this and then decide whether or not he wants to create or, or call for a grand jury. Then there'd be an indictment. Then, you know, we're talking two, three months from now, all this would happen and Bannon would be, would be arrested and he'd have his, uh, his day in, uh, in jail with, uh, in terms of being uh, a mugshot taken and fingerprinted, and then he'd be released. And then nothing would happen for a couple of years, because as <laughs> you and I both know, John, yeah. uh, this would get um, slowed up quite a bit in the courts. And uh, so I'm discouraged. I, I'm not encouraged. 
And uh, we're focusing, not we, but the committee's focusing a great deal of attention on Bannon. But the other thing that bothers me more than anything else, the select committee should be having these hearings in an open session. Right. The people of the United States need to hear what's going on here, not in closed session. They're, they're always in executive session for everything that they do. And these things are not national security issues that, and if there were any national security issues, then they could go into executive session. But the bottom line is, the people need to know, certainly from a political standpoint, we need to know who people should be voting for next November based upon their participation and the conspiracy to overthrow the United States government. And not to mention the fact that Trump should be disqualified altogether from running for office, but they never did take uh, advantage of that on the two impeachment hearings that they had. And uh, so I'm, I'm discouraged to, to answer your question in a, in a short answer. I'm discouraged as to the process is being slowed down once again. Yeah, let me uh, let me explain, and we can discuss exactly what process they're going to follow. Uh, that is to say, the select committee is going to have a meeting. If nothing changes on Tuesday, we're talking to uh, our friends, neighbors, and listeners uh, on a Sunday, and uh, then they're going to vote for contempt proceedings. Now, this can go several different ways, but they have to, no matter which way they go, they have to go to the floor of the House and vote a contempt resolution. And the question is, there of the three ways, there is criminal contempt, civil contempt, and the inherent power of the Congress to act. Now, the first two ways, that is criminal and civil, follow pretty much the process you were outlining, at least the criminal uh, contempt was. And what it, what it is, is that this contempt proceeding is presented to the U.S. attorney in our, the District of Columbia, and then they decide to go to the grand jury or not, to make charges or not, to report it or not, to take it to a judge, and then to prosecute the case, as you say. And then the panoply of defenses and rights that an individual has in a criminal case all apply, which means this could take a long time. Uh, the civil contempt is similar and different. But it also takes a long time. And that was the process followed with McGann. The third possibility is what's called the inherent power of the Congress. And what that basically means is that it is, it is an implied power. In other words, what is necessary for the Congress to conduct its legislative acts? And anything that is necessary to that should have a power that allows and permits and facilitates the Congress doing its mission. We have a whole trail of uh, uh, data bytes telling us that going to the courts hasn't worked for us before, not if we care to have the remedy happen soon. That is, uh, two years is not soon enough. Uh, several months is not soon enough. And it's not just to get the person sitting in the chair to be punished. It is to punish them until... They have the keys to the kingdom themselves, and they do the act they're supposed to do. They testify, they produce the documents. So if the inherent power is followed, what would happen is the committee would do what it's doing on Tuesday, but it would report out a request for a power that allows the Congress to act. And then what they would do is they would then issue a resolution from the House, and then uh, they would go and arrest him. And they would bring him to the House or Senate. They would hold them there. There would be a hearing or a trial. And then after that, after the allegations are heard and any defenses he might have are raised and so far, if they're the ones he's raised publicly, there's nothing to them. And then the 
he, it could take place instead of the whole house before a congressional committee, but one of the other kinds of trials have to be held. And then the house could direct that he be detained or imprisoned until the obstruction to the exercise of legislative power is removed. That's the whole panoply. And, and as I understand, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say for the listening audience, so they can uh, draw a parallel. This is exactly how every court in the United States uh, operates. Every criminal court, if a judge uh, finds you in contempt of court, you're uh, jailed then and there. Right. So that's not dissimilar. So for people listening, it's essentially the same process you would find in any district or superior court in the United States. If you were a a regular defendant. Yeah. If if you're a regular defendant, criminal defendant, and you're in contempt of court, you'd end up going to jail then and there. Just wanted and, to mention and, that. Well, yeah, that's good. And then this this is at a point where it would be good to remind our uh, fellow travelers out there and gal travelers <laughs> that <laughs> this is not the best way to do it. Uh, just discussing the remedies we have in the single instance of a person like Steve Bannon, who's gotten pardoned from president and has advised him how he could try to destroy Biden's presidency and its crib with what happened on January the 6th. He's just one person. And what better way than to have the Congress do this? Well, the Congress isn't really not suited to this problem in terms of being effective and getting an end result. What is? a prosecutor, a prosecutor dedicated to prosecuting not just the rioters as they've been doing, low-hanging fruit, going after the people in the West Wing who did this, Trump and his cohorts, those people who funded it, those people in intelligence who withheld the intelligence. We all believe that's true. Those people who planted the bombs and had the money to do it to distract us on January the 6th. And Uh, Those senators and members of Congress themselves who participated in small and large ways in this and and who have since done things to subvert our government, that requires a prosecutor. But Garland, I don't know what he's doing, sitting in an easy chair counting uh, past decisions he wrote when he was on the bench, but he's he's not counted president. He's AWOL at a time when we have a, a constitutional crisis. And if there were two paths to follow, what they should have followed was the path of a prosecutor. And I'm sorry I've gone on so long. We, we, you and I have gone over this before, and uh, I think it's well, but critical. For the listening audience, yeah. let you know just uh, separate the two types of prosecutors you're talking about, because they could be a prosecutor from the DOJ, but Merrick right. Allen could also call for a special prosecutor, right? Right. And that would that would go beyond next November's election, which is even more important, it seems to me, because they're trying to run out the clock. And they know that the clock might end in November if the election goes the other way. However, if the Department of Justice chooses to go the special prosecutor route, that lives beyond the November. It lives as long as the Biden administration is is in power. So that's another option that, in fact, that is the option that I would have uh, chosen among all others uh, if they want to see true justice. Because right now, the committee, I think, is claiming they have an unofficial deadline, I think, of May 1st or June 1st of 2022 to have their report completed. Please give me a break. This is a one, two year investigation under normal conditions. And uh, they're not meeting like uh, the people that I used to work with every day. They're meeting once in a while. They, they work a week. They take two weeks off on vacation. I mean, this is just a slow, slow boil. And at this point, it's not going to boil at all. Yeah, and we, my yeah. concern. Yeah. No, 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 my concern is we're never going to reach the temperature necessary to get this thing off uh, off and running. Yeah, we don't need a doctorate on what happened on January the 6th. We, we need action. And if there's a scream across America, it is enough talk, do something, act, do something effective that makes a difference. And, and they're not. And that, that's just intolerable. And we have to move on from where we are here. 
uh, it's hard to believe that people with the brain power who are on that committee are so intransigent about and comfortable with their inactivity. Uh, it's, it's beyond understanding. It's like they lose their drive when they get into that body and all they want to do is get reelected, even the best of them. And uh, my comparison is when I was a kid, I observed some families that you know were challenged by alcohol or by um, drugs and so forth. And I became a prosecutor because of corruption, but I saw a fair amount of this as a prosecutor as well. And it's very interesting that in a, a family that has a, an alcoholic problem, they believe nobody else knows what's going on. But in truth, it's transparent what they're doing, how they're failing, uh, and that they need help. And many people help without letting on that they know. I think the American public is in the same position. We have Democrats telling us stuff as if we can't observe what they're failing to do. We can't observe how they uh, give one argument one day and another another day. And the Democrats are the ones who are, uh, you know, they should be the angels in this process, and they're not. The Republicans are the uh, the enemies, if you will, of this entire process, because they have no interest in cooperating for the republic, no interest in serving the people, no interest in telling the truth. And so the white lies, or worse, that Democrats tell us to make us feel comfortable, actually help and underwrite what the Republicans are doing to punish our nation. And we just have to move on. We can't have this continue. You know, you and I talked about when the president spoke, how we consider that encouraging. What was your reaction when he, he spoke a couple of days ago? Um, well, first of all, let me back up. Before he spoke, that the two ingredients, people have been asking me on social media, what's going on? What's your opinion? Why is this all happening? Quite frankly, it's quite simple. Uh, lack of leadership and lack of courage. And mm-hmm. that's what it all amounts to, because at the very top, someone needs to be calling the play. Somebody needs to be in charge of what the strategy is. And presumably it's the president of the United States. So when Biden came out and made those comments, and then within two hours, they get they reverse, reverse the comments. Jen Psaki obviously is not going to say anything without the president's uh, permission. But when Biden indicated that he thought it was a good idea to prosecute Bannon and it was a good idea to follow the route that they were following, he gets criticized by his own White House and his press secretary. And they, they write a statement that was rather scolding, it seemed to me, uh, over the top. And if, if the perception is going to, if they're trying to have a perception that they're so independent minded that the attorney general of the United States has nothing whatsoever to do with the president of the United States. This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. He chose the, the attorney general for his integrity, for his knowledge, for his leadership, for his perspective and experience, presumably. And if that's the case, then he can say uh, with certainty that the laws of the United States will be followed. No one's above the law. So whatever Biden said was not Uh, I think, off color whatsoever. He wasn't dictating anything, was rather saying the obvious, that no one's above the law. And there's nothing controversial about that. But they they phrase in such a way that now Merrick Garland is going to make the decision. Merrick Garland's going to take the final decision as to what happens here. And if that's really truly the case, I'm less optimistic now since Biden said that than I was prior to him saying that. Right. Well, and it's it's especially important when you consider the oath of Biden, the president of the United States, is to preserve and protect the, the government. And if he's not it, protecting our nation. Yeah. Uh, and and to say, I think we should prosecute people who are violating the laws, who are not helping Congress get to the bottom of an attack at the very government 
over which I am responsible by oath. And by the way, as you and I know, the attorney general is in the cabinet of the president. He does not supersede the president. And <laughs> there is nothing wrong with him saying, I want to report on my desk in the morning, confidential or not, where do we stand on this? And I think we should be doing something. Tell me I'm wrong. You know, it's not to not have a conversation. It's not like some father confessor that has some privilege. He does whatever he wants, separate and independent of the president. He's our chief law enforcement officer. He's saying the president has no right or ability to direct the policies of the country. That's absolutely wrong. And and given Garland's his poor performance so far, it's just not acceptable that we could accept his judgment on what should happen here. There has to be conversation. There has to be dialogue. The, the, the other missing piece to all this, and I've been saying this, I think, uh, since Biden's been in office, they claim to have transparency. They claim to be great communicators. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't remember, and I, I'm pretty good at watching CNN and MSNBC and ABC and the rest of them and reading the newspapers every day. And I have yet to see Merrick Garland give an actual press conference regarding this issue because he claimed to be running on this issue when he was up for the nomination. And it seems obvious to me that the American public is thirsty for some information, anything whatsoever as to the progress or lack thereof of uh, their investigation. And don't forget, for the people that are listening to this, DOJ does have an investigation open on January 6th uh, uh, incident, but no, it's not following it all the way up to the top. It's they're, they're looking at the little trespassers and the people that committed the more minor criminal acts that, to prosecute. And the other thing I, I think you and I talked about this off the air, John, federal judges are getting very frustrated with the defendants coming before them for sentencing because the the uh, Department of Justice is asking for light sentencing for these criminal matters of, of trying to overthrow the United States government. And even federal judges that are appointed by both Democrats and Republicans are saying those sentencing guidelines uh, should be at, at the very top, not at the minimum. And uh, the frustration is even can be it can be heard and felt from the federal bench. So right. you have to wonder. At the end of the day, what is the game plan? It seems to me. I mean, again, I, the way I read these tea leaves. The, the Democrats or President Biden uh, wants a soft approach to how this is handled. They want to you know, try to redirect things back to the so-called infrastructure bill that's going nowhere. And that's another issue because of two demo so-called Democratic senators. And um, as you know, time passes, uh, time passes and we're running out of time. And that's that's a big concern. People need to understand the clock is ticking and that is critical, not right. to mention I still, you know, I'll still say one other thing, John. I say this yeah. now. I think this is the eighth consecutive week. Um, people like DeJoy are still in office. There are a lot of things that have slowed down because nothing's happening. Nothing systemic has occurred. And, and the Democrats are frustrated to the point where they may not come out and vote. Well, you know, one, another choice wrongly made may have been to think that after the nation that supported Biden being elected, Democrats, independents, and upset Republicans were concerned about a number of issues that have been forgotten. You know, what are we going to do about race in the country and uh, the systemic uh, capture of those problems that seem to dwell in police officers, not all of them around the country? We didn't do anything about that. And uh, we didn't do we certainly didn't do anything about race more generally. And we didn't do anything about the big issue, which was the fight from, oh, I guess at least October through now 
as to did we run an honest election? We did. We had Trump running down our election and then using that rundown as a way to justify doing whatever he could to change the voting in different places, including the most obvious one in Georgia, but he tried elsewhere. And so maybe from the beginning, what the House should have done is they should have been focused like a laser beam on the issues that mattered, especially voting and the lying about voting, which creates a a toxic substance that runs throughout our whole system of government. Now, as for how we punish the rioters, you know, as a as either police or a prosecutor, you look at these people as some of them had connections with others that made this riot possible. So have they focused on those people? Have they offered them difficult bills? Have they said they'd give them immunity? Have they said things like court? I think you should give an upward adjustment to this guy above the guidelines because of what else they did and what his conduct or her conduct, but probably his conduct meant to the success of this insurrection. No. And it's like, we have no game plan and they do. And theirs, theirs is to overthrow our government. And ours should be to preserve and protect it and to do it forcefully. But we, you know, the old expression, justice delayed is justice denied. Well, I often say for a defense uh, that justice delayed is justice. And that's exactly what Bannon believes. And I know his lawyer, Bob Costello, we served in the Southern District of New York. He's an outstanding lawyer. And he's just going to sit there and he's going to run the clock and he'll know how to do it. Came from one of the best offices in the country, and uh, he's a very good lawyer himself, and that's their scheme. If we're not confronting their their strategy, we're not even in the game. Well, you know, if you think about this case as well as the legislation and uh, all the issues that are surround, all the controversy that is surrounding President Biden, there is a there is there is a common denominator here. There's no real, and I say leadership, but there's no game plan. There isn't anyone uh, sitting down and executing the way you'd see a Tip O'Neill or, you know, even President Reagan. I mean, President Reagan, as a, as a Republican, had two or three issues that he cared about. That was it for eight years. He cared about nothing else, but he stayed focused on things, right? I mean, he stayed focused right. and it was systematic as to how they wanted to achieve things. In this administration, it's scattered. It's it's, it's bifurcated um, 10 times. And uh, you, you lose all of that concentration by being so spread out. And we, we don't have anyone gathering you know, the, the, the sheep or whatever. They're just like these wild animals are running in every direction and no one's doing anything to corral anybody. So the, my concern is the leadership issue above and beyond the communication issue, which bothers me. I'm more bothered by the leadership or the lack of leadership. And uh, President Biden, he's a nice guy. He's a gentleman. I voted for him. I'm a lifelong Democrat. However, at the end of the day, I'm going to call it the way it is. And the, the bottom line is President Biden has to get tough now. He can't wait out. He can't be a kumbaya guy. He can't. This bi- the, the word bipartisan should be eliminated from his vocabulary. Right. Work in this administration ever. And um, we need to do something and we need to do it now. He has to uh, invoke those parts of his biography and his ability and his knowledge to deal with the hand that he's been dealt. He's tried to make this a cooperative government. He hasn't failed. It is the other side has decided a cooperative government would help him succeed himself. So we're not going to do that. And then they have the nerve to blame him for failing for what they won't cooperate to make possible. 
this is not a situation that can persist and have our democracy persist. The, it's very interesting to study uh, where the courts are. We have the Supreme Court made this decision to allow an obviously unconstitutional law out of Texas to stand. Same with the law out of Mississippi, and I'm on, I'm on the, an amicus brief on that one, which is going to be heard before the court in December. I'm not arguing it. I'm just one of many people supporting their position. The question is, what does a Justice Department do when the court appears to be ideological instead of lawful? Now, they're about to appeal to the Supreme Court the stay they requested that was denied in the Court of Appeals in the Fifth Circuit after the district court granted them a stay, meaning that the abortion law would not be in effect while it was being argued up through the Supreme Court. What is going to happen there? Well, I think that if they don't think they can win it, they should make the point that the court is failing us as a court. I think that's a legitimate argument. We're being denied fundamental due process. We're being denied the value of precedence in Roe v. Wade. We're being denied uh, the opportunity to allow people to stand status quo until we know there's any reason to overturn or that it's even possible legally to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we, we see the Justice Department and, you know, there's some days I think I wouldn't want them to defend me on a traffic ticket, given the signals I get from them. But on this issue, they went to the trial court. They got a stay. They went to the circuit court. Uh, they got pushed back. They're going to the Supreme Court. They should say to the Supreme Court, you better get this right, because the trust of America and the law of this country is in a serious, dangerous place. And you have the ability to give faith to people that our system makes sense. And beyond that, uh, and I agree with you completely, 100 percent, but beyond that, we have to expand the court to 13. And that's another thing that troubles 14. me. 14. 14. No, up Nine to 13. Nine plus three, 12, 13. Okay, sorry. 13, right. Yeah. So we want 13 uh, members of the court. It's now October 2021, uh, and nothing has happened. There were, a report came out. It was somewhat ambiguous, but the, the way I read the report, it, it's clear to me that uh, I don't have any faith that Biden's going to move anything uh, forward to increase it to 13. And if he were, he would have to do this now because we can't wait. Uh, we got 12 months before uh, they, they might lose the House and the Senate for all we know. And the, the bottom line is that has to happen, too, because beyond what's happening today or not happening today with the U.S. Supreme Court, we need to we need to be concerned. We're talking about members of the court that are appointed, uh, that are there for life and their tenures, 30, 40 years at a time. Uh, this is a grave issue for the United States. Uh, the, the third branch of our government is being dictated by the Trump people. I mean, when he was in office, Trump, he put in more federal judges than I think any U.S. sitting U.S. president in the, the little term that he had, the four year term and the two impeachments. Yeah. And yet and yet the Supreme Court is sitting there, uh, an obvious situation that's been neglected. And it seems obvious to me this could easily be Let's put it this way. If the shoe on the other foot, Mitch um, um, McConnell would have this thing all wrapped up and 13 members would be already in place. Yeah. And but one one of the barriers is the willingness of Democrats in the Senate to uh, throw out the closure rule in order to have that vote, because that's an it's not a a reconciled bill uh, category, which you can introduce a bill under that category by the parliamentarian with a majority vote, uh, which means 50 
Democrats, the entire Democratic caucus, including S&M, Cinema uh, and Mansion, plus the vice president of the United States. So we, we can't do anything to the court if we don't have the willingness of the entire caucus plus the vice president to do so. So that's probably a dead letter, although it's necessary and significant and important to happen. I think one of the one of the issues that you've uh, leaned on before and we've talked about is how across the nation uh, the attack is coming from the far right at local school boards, the lowest rung of the political ambition ladder and the first rung in which you can build a constituency and you can have effect on politics. But this is a phenomenon that's happening across the country. And I know you've talked about it before, but there have mm-hmm. been developments in, since our last uh, broadcast last week. What, where do you see it now and where do you think it's going? Well, you know, let's let's go back to what uh, Director Ray said from the FBI, that the biggest threat in the United States is domestic terrorism. And the amount of activity going on now with the Proud Boys manifested uh, just last week with regard to school boards. Now, it seems pretty obvious that uh, this is not organic. This is definitely premeditated and there's a conspiracy afoot to create a situation from the bottom up of putting in like-minded right-wing cult members in from the school board all the way up to the presidency. And uh, it's it's taking shape. Uh, we have people on school boards that are being threatened, that are resigning uh, or not seeking re-election. Uh, people are being threatened physically, John. This is not unlike, and I know people say, well, you know, you bring up often 1933 Germany and this and that. It's just, this is the playbook of what happened in 1933 in Germany. So I, I am concerned, more than concerned. I'm alarmed as to what's happening. And every time I talk about this, there'll be some people agreeing and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll be concerned as well. But nothing is happening at the top. The people, the lack of leadership at the top to change any of this is, is uh, demonstrable. I, I, I'm, I'm outraged that nothing's happening uh, to stop this. And uh, there are so many people now being co-opted, people that just six months ago were not of that uh, ilk. And now they seem to be infected as well. So I see this as a growing problem and it's it's definitely organized. And people like Bannon are part of the uh, the architects of this. And they do it in plain sight now. It's not like they're underground and you have to have FBI undercover agents to infiltrate these, these domestic terrorist groups. That's not the case. This is being done in clear view, plain view. And uh, what are we doing about it, John? What are we doing? What is Nothing. what is Bump, happening to, to stem yeah. the tide? Well, we're not doing anything as right. far as I can tell. It's like uh, serious politicians uh, look at this as below their radar. And in the two states that have gubernatorial races, uh, New Jersey and Virginia, I can see it up close and personal in Virginia. We had uh, Bannon come to a rally just outside uh, Richmond, and uh, uh, Trump spoke at the rally by phone, and they were supporting Yunkin, who's never run for office himself before, and supposedly has deep pockets to spend money on his election. And he's within the, uh, the range of statistical era behind the former governor of Virginia. Um, and uh, McAuliffe. And so uh, at a recent at this recent rally, which I guess is this past week, um, they had a flag from the attack on the Capitol on January the 6th, and they pledged allegiance to that flag. Right. It was and the a best weaponized that, flag. Yeah, that's right. And the best that Youngkin could say was that uh, 
He said that was wrong and weird. I'll give him that much credit, but that's not very forceful. And you're not you're not uh, controlling your group. And I think that if they're they're doing these things above and beyond Yunkin's apparent or pretend knowledge, it means that McAuliffe is probably doing better than they're they're saying publicly. Now, the issues that focus them in this election and this year before the midterms and probably the general election is that they think we should tolerate racism in school because what they want to say is we don't want you teaching us about American racism running down the country. So how are you supposed to reform if you don't have the facts right? They want to bar masks and vaccine in school for the kids and the teachers and everybody else. They, uh, they want to discriminate against transgender, don't even want to say the pronouns if, unless the pronouns correspond to what a child was anatomically at birth. And in Loudoun County, where, where I am, there was a woman on the local school board, and she was part of a Facebook group that was called <laughs> uh, Anti-Discrimination Parents or something like that. Well, they went after her and tried to recall her from office, and it's a complicated process. But the, the interesting thing about it is they hounded her and bothered her and intimidated in every way they could. And two days ago, uh, she got a phone call. And a man on the other end of the phone said, uh, I'm at Starbucks and I'm standing right next to your daughter. Incredible. Right. And then a short time later, that same evening, there was a man outside her home and she called the police and they sat on her place through the evening. Uh, they, there were no arrests made. I don't know if they're any closer to identifying the person. What did she do by the morning? She resigned her position, which was the subject of the recall, to protect her family. See, and see, see it's working. Their, their, their diabolical scheme is working. And let's not forget last week, they also introduced the idea in the public schools that the Holocaust didn't occur. They wanted to have alternative versions of what happened uh, during World War II. This is tantamount to uh, the, the, the Hitler days when they were burning books it, it really is of, of grave concern that uh, no one is doing anything really overt to stop this. Now, I, you know, my, my friends in the FBI are collecting uh, intelligence and watching as much as they can, the domestic groups that are getting more and more uh, activated. But what you have to look at this as a domestic terrorism case where there are sleeper cells throughout the United States and they've all been activated. And that's the point. They've been activated. It's not like it was in the past when they would be wearing hoods and burning crosses. They don't wear hoods anymore, John, and right. they don't burn crosses at night. They do it in the day, in the day, in the light of day. And well, they've all been activated. And, and when I say activated, I mean throughout the country. It's not just the, the South and, and the, the red states. It's throughout the country. I've seen this uh, prevail throughout all 50 states. And the concern is that we're getting to the point of no return. And what are we doing Again, with Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, that's going to stop this in advance. It's, it's more, I don't even know if they're, they're, they're reactionary. We need to do something to prevent things, but I, I, they don't even react to things after the fact. So I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm concerned as to where this goes from here. And um, I don't know, every, every passing week now, it gets worse. <laughs> when, when we were talking before the show began, it was pretty clear things were bad last week to the point where it was the worst week we had all year calendar year and this week is worse than last week john well you know again it's what uh, we've been talking about the the remedy 
is the people giving backbone to elected officials and say, hey, you guys are off in the woods. You're not doing what you need to do. We know what's really going on. So get your act together. Don't try to fool us. You're supposed to be our friends. We're supposed to be on the same side. And if you're going to go after this guy, go after the fastest remedy. That is, I'm talking about Bannon and I'm talking about the uh, January 6th commission. Uh, Go after him using your interim powers. Bring him to his knees before the House of Representatives, because we can't trust anybody else, you know, get to it. And then we have to, we have to pay attention to this weak underbelly. That is our weak underbelly, where they are being so active and outrageous. If you want to look for a precursor for the insanity that we're suffering at the local level with these school boards, you can look at the Tea Party which came in after Obama was there. It was they, we can't stand to have a person of color in the White House, even though he's managed in his own humanity to be a blend. Uh, and there were even jokes about it uh, that, uh, you know, if you don't succeed as a black president, one black comic said, I'm going to treat you as somebody else. <laughs> but the reaction of the Tea Party was not funny at all. They, they, they plainly could not embrace the fact that we had a chief executive, finally, after all the travails of how we handled discrimination in this country, who is a person of color. And the, the KKK is a group that, A, uh, discriminates against persons of color, B, discriminates against Jews, anti-Semitic, and was at one time very strongly against Roman Catholics because they were afraid the papists would listen to Rome and do whatever they had to do uh, on behalf of the holy Catholic Roman church. And uh, Jack Kennedy had to be, could only be elected by saying, I only have one client when elected president, and that is the people of America. And if I can't do that job with, uh, within the terms of my religion, I would quit my job. The and we're back. We're the Tea Party was at one level in which they shouted at meetings that did this outrageous stuff, and here we are again. But the violence and the intimidation and the threats are heightened. The stakes are better because of what happened in January, uh, or worse, rather, because of what happened on January the 6th. And that's the challenge we face as uh, political leaders do, and as citizens, to make these political leaders pay attention and stop thinking they're fooling us because they're only fooling themselves, and we're not going to vote for them. People are just not going to show up unless they believe that these guys have got uh, the rain in their mouth and they're they're pulling for the people, all the people, the public, and they're fighting this challenge to our democracy. John, let me let me mention another. If I mention another issue here, and it's related to national security, and it's something that people might not think as connected directly to national security. But I can tell you, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with this week that have complained about one thing and one thing only, and that's the supply chain problem that we're now seeing in the United States, which is a national security issue, and I'll explain it in a second. So all of a sudden, it was funny, just uh, the other day, and this is a true story, two days ago, I happened to be in the supermarket, and just to get a couple of items, nothing big. And when I walked in, the manager of the store ran over and, and pulled me aside. I thought maybe there was a problem that maybe there was some a fight in the store and she needed my help or something. And she said, come with me. So I thought for sure I was going to have to apprehend somebody or something of that magnitude. And she said, um, uh, look, and the, the aisle was empty, the aisle of uh, uh, paper products, toilet paper, things of that nature. Right. And I said, yeah, I heard about the supply problem. And she said, and she looked scared. She said, we just got a shipment. We don't know when we're going to get the next shipment. I'm glad you're here this evening because I wanted to bring it to your attention. Maybe you ought to stock up. 
So I ended up spending $240 on toilet paper, which I didn't, <laughs> wasn't going to buy. <laughs> and and, and uh, so I figured out. effective like, sales technique is what I would say. Anyway. No, I mean, <laughs> so I mean, she did me a favor because I, I clearly, it, this is what's happening. And then I heard from the Biden administration that the ships, there are dozens of ships, I think 60 or something ships out right. in California, out waiting to be brought in. And it's going to take, John, listen to this. 11 to 12 months to get them unloaded. 11 to 12 months. That's a year from now. So it's very, I think, I think the whole thing is suspicious. Well, (laughs) no, but my next point, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist here, but this is how I've been trained to think. We're heading into winter, right? So aside from the supply chain problems, if we have external enemies that are looking to take advantage of the situation we're now in domestically, this is the time. So if the grid goes down in the in the winter, something happens by way of our friends and enemies in Russia, North Korea, China, wherever, this is the moment of opportunity to really strike against the United States. People don't want to hear this, but this is well, how I've I, been I trained to think. I, I don't know that they, well, I hear what you're saying. I don't know that they would strike at us, but you know, there was a story about how Taiwan was nervous recently because of different things going on near in the waters nearby. It could just be normal nervousness. I mean, their their intelligence capability is pretty sophisticated. Even John, the cyber forward. attacks happen hundreds a day. Why wouldn't they strike against us now? Well, I, I'm not saying they wouldn't. I mean, yeah. they have, and there's nothing to suggest that they've stopped. And right. we don't know to what extent uh, there may be cooperation in this effort, the autocratic Republican Party, what's going on there. And why don't we know it? Because we decided to close our eyes and not investigate January the 6th, not call any of the people. And then, you know, doing this dilly-dallying special committee, that's nonsense in terms of dealing with the problem. We 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 don't need to be collecting information for the purpose of knowing we, we need to collect information for the purpose of prosecuting Preventing. and punishing right. and making a reckoning for those people who would compromise the nation. They are traitors. They, they seized the Capitol. They did it successfully. And if just a couple of things went their way, this whole thing would be very different. And I guess well, we have to learning- celebrate our su- successes. You know, Biden became president. That was important. We won in Georgia. But we're we're in a slugfest. It's like we're in a muddy ground, and the the stuff is up to our knees and our thighs, and we're we're fighting like mad to stand still right now. We have to do better than that. We have to get ahead of this curve. I think the problem is uh, Biden is a band aid and not a tourniquet, and and I'm concerned that we're <laughs> bleeding out. I really am because if you look at it, and this is how I look at it, and and I want people to understand what I'm saying is going to come to pass at some point. So the 2016 election obviously was supported by Putin and everything that happened, we, it, it's ancient history. However, uh, Bannon and, and Trump wanted to uh, deconstruct the United States government. They did a lot of damage uh, in the four years. It would probably take eight to 10 years to fix the damage if we had a normal administration in place. And we have and we do not. So mm-hmm. now we, we have a situation where they're coming back with a dry run. They were unsuccessful with their coup d'etat uh, back in January, but they're going to come back and they're going to come back stronger uh, than ever before. And it's a three dimensional attack this time. So they have the, the voter suppression. They have the secretary of states so being able to change things. They have the legislatures. They can overturn elections. And now, in my view, when you look at someone like Putin, but people don't talk about him anymore because Trump's not in office. Putin is still our enemy and number one enemy. Uh, and we need not forget that. 
And what he didn't quite finish, Putin, he can finish now. So when we're on one knee, we have supply chain problems. This is like as if we're a third world country. We don't even have toilet paper for our citizens. This is absurd. Something by, by way of a cyber attack wouldn't take much, John. And in the winter, in terms of heating, electricity, what have you, to really have a death blow politically, if nothing else, to the administration and Trump and company would come back with, with greater fervor than ever before. And that is a, a clear and present danger from my standpoint, strategically, that may happen, or at least an attempt will be made by way of our enemies. And I am concerned about this, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything of the sort, but I'm looking at this from a national security blind spot that's happening now it's all interconnected so the, the the select committee the lack of investigation the lack of enforcement the lack of any leadership from the doj all of that helps to uh, hinder and disable what efforts should be made to prevent things from happening instead of reacting to from things after they happen okay well that leaves me in the position of trying to give some sunshine to this very dark picture which <laughs> I, I don't I, i'm not disagreeing with right. and, and i think uh as you've heard me say repeatedly o- the overarching approach to this is that the citizens from every uh, status in america call and write to their representatives to their papers they run for office they contribute to like-minded people And of the messages that I think that they should be giving, number one is the select committee should release everything they get. I don't want to wait for the report. Give us the information. Let us examine what comes from the archives because you guys don't do it right. You are always compromising the message and synthesizing it and simplifying it. Let us see the original documents, number one. Number two, we have to have a prosecutor appointed. It is not enough to have a select committee that has five minute gaps in public asking questions that are mostly speeches and then they're not very well refined. And I know that we have people that can do this, but they're on a number of other committees and and they can't do it all. And they're not dedicated to only this subject. And you almost can't do this unless you're dedicated only to this. And the final thing, because Putin in the past, his most obvious uh, interference has been in some way Uh, in the cyber uh, space, if you will. We have to update so the nation knows what's going on in the cyberspace. We should not be protected from the truth because the collective synthesis of skill and energy and selfless devotion and loyalty and patriotism to the country is almost unbounded, but it can't work in the dark. And if you're going to keep your allies, that's us, Dems in the dark, and independents and Republicans that can't tolerate Trump, you got to let them know what's going on so they can be of help. And that, I think, is a prescription. It may not succeed, but doing nothing certainly won't. And what I often tell my friends when they say, well, what's going to happen if we do this? And I tell them, you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket. And I can't imagine a ticket worth more than spending the time, money, and devotion on the nation where you live that's given you whatever benefits you have and has more benefits to give rather than the suffering that the Republicans are comfortable with for their capitalist gang on Wall Street and elsewhere. Well, you know, 
I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I, you know, and I think then maybe <laughs> it's we in our spoke. contract. We agree with each other. <laughs> we're, we're pretty, I mean, I, we're pretty good about agreeing with each other, actually. I mean, really. Yeah, no, no. We're on the same frequency. Uh, I, I sometimes I go off um, because I, I'm trying to look ahead and predict what's going to happen. And I understand you want to look at the sky now and see the, the rainbow that <laughs> is before <laughs> us. But I see storm clouds ahead. I, I, I see the rainbow. But you know what? Beyond the rainbow are storm clouds, and that's what I'm concerned about tomorrow more than today. And and with all due respect, I, I really do believe in my soul that we are at a, a crossroads now. Uh, and if something isn't done, and let, let me actually put it this way. The Democrats also have sleeper cells. Those are the people that do not engage. They're not, uh, they, they vote. Real sleeper cells. <laughs> well, yeah, right. <laughs> and we need to awaken the Democratic sleeper cells to come out in en masse and, and to vote as a block to vote against every Republican at every level across the board. I, I'm saying don't even be selective. Just vote against every Republican. If you want to change well, I this agree country, with that. I agree yeah. with that because you, you can't trust any of them, particularly no. now that we see they're going right Right down to the lowest rungs, you know, put, you're going to try to kick people off boards or even, you know, out of the governorship in California and try to replace these people with their own robots. And yeah. uh, we, we just can't tolerate that. Um, no, we had just one. I think this this is really the last opportunity. This may be the last presidential election in 2024 if things don't go the right direction. So I, I want to plead and beg and, and ask our listening audience. If nothing else, if nothing else, two things you can do. Well, three things you can do. You can write letters, make calls, as as John Flannery just said, and I agree with that. And I would even focus it more on Nancy Pelosi, because at least she has a backbone, which we've talked about in the past. And the other two things, you have to make sure that you're a registered voter, that you're going to vote in 2022, regardless of what's going on in 2024. But more importantly, or the most important thing of all, if you've heard nothing I've heard all day from me all day, if you listen to nothing I've said all day, you have to vote if you want to save this country against every Republican running on a ballot in every position across the country. And I mean that sincerely. I would not be saying this if I wasn't convinced that has to be done because we are in troubled times. This this is a situation that's not going to get fixed unless we fix it. We can't depend on people that we put into office already to do anything because they're not doing enough. So we have to take the bull by the horns. And the only power that we have collectively, uh, and it, it has to be done as a block, uh, a monolithic group here, the Democrats, as well as other people, independents and like-minded Republicans, to vote against Republicans. In 2022, 2024, you got to vote against Republicans to save the country, period. Either you're going to save the country or, or we're going to have a dictatorship, John. Right. Well stated. I want to thank uh, our audience out there, those people who followed us and who give us feedback on what they think we're saying that they think we've gotten right. And I'm glad to say that a lot of you agree with us, which is not always the best thing. We enjoy uh, responsible, articulate, robust criticism. Uh, and we will consider it in the upcoming talks that we have. But right now, uh, I hope that we've given you some information and form your discretion on how to navigate this difficult time in American history. Thanks for joining us. All the best. 